You got nine statements. What if he's naming nine areas of human experience where we get to experience newness of life, like nine pain points of the human condition? Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is author, teacher, and coach, and all-around interesting guy, Mark Scandrett. Mark has a new book out that I'm really excited about. It's called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, The Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. As you'll hear in our conversation, Mark takes a somewhat unique spin on the Beatitudes, offering us nine new postures for living. I spoke with Mark over a video call from his home in California. Mark, what was Jesus doing with these really weird sayings, Beatitudes? What was he after? Those strange blessings? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, the Greek word is makarios, and it means something like godlike or like... um, it's the kind of reverence that we would have towards uh, Queen Beyonce or your favorite uh, athlete, you know, or a billionaire tech mogul. Like, you really have it going on. And so, what's surprising is who Jesus says has it going on. Right. Who's blessed? Right. The poor, those who are in mourning, the peasant, you know, worker. And so on one level, I think that's that's something that the Beatitudes are doing, is saying whatever your story, whatever your struggle, the with God life is available to you at this moment. Do you have a sense of how that was received by the hearers? I like to think that, and maybe I'm borrowing this from um, hearing Dallas Willard talk about it, but while he's saying those things, He sees a person who barely has clothes on their back and he says, blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom. He sees a woman who's mourning the death of her husband and puts his hand on her shoulder and says, blessed are you, sister who mourn. And he sees the peasant worker who's coming in from the fields and says, blessed blessed are the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. He says, basically, you're in. Yeah. Right? You're in. Yeah. And, And one of my friends helped me understand that like you had... Pharisees, Sadducees, and Zealots in the crowd. They all did not like the Roman occupation. This is the big problem in their lives, you know, and so the so they all had different strategies. So the Sadducees were like, we're gonna coddle up to the Romans and, and ask to be installed as puppet governors. The Pharisees were like, um, the Romans are here because we we haven't been faithful to Torah, and so we're going to double down on our legalistic Torah practice. And the zealots are like, we shouldn't participate in these structures of injustice. And it's not about following the laws more carefully. It's time to pick up arms. Probably contextually in the crowd, all those people are there. And Jesus is like, how do I announce the reality of the kingdom of God, knowing that there's all this stirring going on? 
and then this message that I'm assuming the kind of downtrodden and broken, yeah. we're not prepared for that, or that it seems somewhat shocking. And it's say. an upside down message, probably similar to how we think today. Most people thought the wealthy, the powerful, the attractive, and the successful are blessed by God. And if you're poor, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, you're cursed. You've done something wrong and you don't get to participate in the good, the good life. And so for Jesus to specifically pick out people who were on the underside of power as the ones who are fortunate and godlike was a huge impact to them, I think. I really like how in your work you're setting this where we are today in a, in a kind of modern context in our culture and two lines that really drew me in. This is a new way to be human, a journey back to reality. Uh, wh where do you take the Beatitudes for us today? There might be two ways to look at them. I think one of the messages of the Beatitudes is um, no one's beyond the blessing, right? And if you look at the first three Beatitudes, those are not desirable states of being. Poverty, mourning, being on the underside of power. But you get into the next three, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, the merciful, the pure of art. Those are noble qualities. And so I don't know if this was in the intent of Matthew when he assembled the Sermon on the Mount, but I like to think of the Beatitudes as a table of contents for what Jesus is going to say in the rest of the sermon about this new way of being life in the kingdom of God. So you got nine statements. What if he's naming nine areas of human experience where we get to experience newness of life, like nine pain points of the human condition? And he's going to talk more about those areas of our ache and longing throughout those three chapters. That's a helpful way to, to frame it. This idea of our first instincts, new postures. Could you talk a little about that? You know, one way of looking at the human condition is that the trauma of being of, of existence of being alive <laughs> makes us go some certain places, like on a on a base level of body and emotions, and like you know, we want to feel safe and in control and uh, and aff affirmed, and so some of our coping mechanisms are necessary for our early development, but if we don't transcend them, they become toxic and to us. So uh, the, you know, the easy, simplest case in point would be like we have that fight or flight response. So anxiety is built into our biology to keep us alive. But if we're going to thrive, we have to modulate it and find a bigger way of seeing the world other than just through the lens of, am I safe or am I in danger? And so I look at the Beatitudes and I go, wow, each of them name a first instinct that we have. If we could see the world as Jesus did and learn to live in the world in the insight and wisdom that Jesus had, what new option would we have for how we live? You know, another interesting one is is that racism is actually built into our biology. Some some recent research suggests that we recognize when we look at someone else's uh, face, 
and skin tone, if they look at like us, we trust them. If they don't look like us, there's an instinct to go not safe, stay away. So basically, if we're going to become anti-racist, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transcend our biological impulses. And does that tie into a beatitude? Yes, each of them do. So I could go through, I could even go through them if you want, you know, we do So yeah, go, maybe give us a couple. Yeah. yeah. So, so I uh, mentioned this one already, but our first instinct is to be close handed, to be, live in close handed anxiety. So I think when Jesus says, blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit, those who can understand their poverty realize that we can't make it on our own and that we need a source of life and energy outside of ourselves. And so the shift is to move from that instinct of close-handed, white-knuckle grasping, striving um, to open-handed trust, vulnerability, interdependence, um, openness to, to God's intervention in our lives. We have a first instinct that with the, I think the second beatitude gets that blessed are those who mourn. Our first instinct is to run away from the painful realities of life. You know, if you've been around a small child, that if they're crying, everybody wants to get them to stop crying, right? And here, here's a snack or look at this on my phone. And then as we get older, we get better at finding self-soothing escapes and distractions from what's hard. And so with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us to actually embrace mourning because it's the path to true comfort and solace. I think we naturally, and this gets to the third beatitude, blessed are the meek. Part of our identity development um, is through comparison, social, social comparison theory. Who's the tallest, the strongest, the best looking? Am I greater than or less than you? When we operate in that mentality, like it leads to a lot of competitiveness, a lot of insecurity. We're either striving to stay on top or we look around and go, I can't compete. And so we resign ourselves to being less than and make ourselves small. And with this beatitude, Jesus is pointing us to the reality of our inherent dignity and worth that um, like true worth isn't based on comparisons between you and I but the fact that we're made in God's image. And so we move from that competition comparison orientation to honoring that we're made in the divine image and then honoring one another and serving one another out of that more accurate understanding of, of our identity. I could go through all of them like this, but I find myself when I look at the Beatitudes and think about the first instinct and then the new posture of the kingdom, it makes the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount really alive to me because it's like every day I have a choice to either live from those first instincts, or I think in Paul's language, he called it the kingdom of darkness, or I can lean into, embrace, and say yes to these basic realities like the architecture of the kingdom of God. It's like taking our brokenness and finding new life. Yeah, yeah. The- yeah. Is there one that's been most challenging, difficult for you personally? Yeah, I um I'll just say this real quick so I remember to say it, that that probably for each of us there are 
aspects of kingdom reality that we find are more naturally are easy to receive. And then probably based on personality, there are parts of reality that we find difficult to believe are true or that we experience a gap. In an appendix of the book, there's a little connection between Enneagram typology and the Beatitudes. There's nine types, nine Beatitudes. So uh, I'm an Enneagram four. I definitely have no problem mourning. Sad feelings are home for me. Pathos is it's a home for me. Beauty in it. Yeah. <laughs> but but what's hard is being resilient in the face of suffering and struggle. And so the the beatitude that offers the most invitation to me is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness or justice. I can easily become discouraged by resistance I face. One person making a set, you know, a negative comment when I post something on social media or one little critique or one thing that doesn't go right in my day. And I have this story I tend to tell myself, like uh, everything's stacked against you. Everybody else has it better than you. You're this, you're the, you're, you being singled out for suffering, you know? <laughs> and then, and then I get really, you know, pissy with my family. I wallow in those sad feelings and I want to react. I was mistreated. This is unjust. Sometimes I react to the person, but more often I go sideways and I try and tell her best, can you believe how unjustly I'm being treated or how hard my life is? And, and so this beatitude goes, you know what? Suffering is part of what it means to be human. God is present to you when you're in suffering and struggle. You're part of a you're part of a larger cosmic struggle between good and evil. And so like surrender to the suffering. Find some meaning in it and then don't let it paralyze you. Keep going. You're part of this bigger thing and see your petty small sufferings in light of this bigger picture and know that it, no suffering is final. You know, keep going. I can say the words, but it's I'm, I'm not I'm not great at I'm not great at living in that. Maybe you should write a book about it. it might it might help you. You know. <laughs> so the idea then is that this gives you a sort of roadmap of where to go, rather than get lost in the kind of negativity or the victimness of some yeah. of these horrific things, but to move towards yeah Jesus way, I guess we yeah. can say. Mm -hmm. And when we suffer or struggle, we're in good company because Jesus encountered a lot of resistance. And he said, if you want to follow my way of love, you're also going to encounter that in your life. So there, there's some comfort that comes to me from remembering that. Yeah. I'm, I like the, just to go back a little, I like that framework and I'm, I'm really interested to now read the Sermon on the Mount with that lens of this is setting, setting up and then it gets mm -hmm. unpacked, you know, moving forward. Um, Cause it's a, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is potentially the greatest teaching, um, but it's horribly confusing. And I think many people just don't know what to do with it. So they don't, you know. One of my motivations for writing this book was uh, actually I can, I can introduce it with a story. I got to know a Zen Buddhist priest years ago. He wrote to me after my first book was out and said, you seem like the kind of Christian 
that I think I could talk to about something going on in my life. W- would you be open to me coming to one of your meetings? And uh, I was like, come to my house and have food. I'd love to get <laughs> no, to know you. No, you are not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not come to. <laughs> and so he showed up in his Rakusu robe and sandals, very nervous because he'd had a teenage experience with Christians and had been part of a church group and it had been real hurt by it. And so I think he, he expected me to fulfill those sort of stereotypes. But I said, what do you want to talk about? And he said, well, I'm about to be ordained, you know, and receive Dharma transmission um, as a as a Zen priest. But when I sit in meditation, when I sit Zazen, I feel Jesus calling to me and I don't know what to do about that. You know, can, how do these two things go together? And so that was like the beginning of this amazing friendship. And I'll just say, by the way, I asked, I was, I was like trying to check him out that night, you know, what's your beliefs about scripture and Jesus or whatever. And he just said, I adore Jesus. And he just started crying. <laughs> and, and he, he said, I don't know if most Christians would consider me to be orthodox or one of them, but all I know is I adore Jesus. So I had a lot to learn from this friend because his his connection to Jesus seems so much more intimate than mine, where I tend to want to be intellectual and objective. And he instead had this affection. And I think, you know, that so much there. Anyway, one one of the first times we got together, I said, Shinko, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. When you wake up in the morning, what do you want to do and be? And in about four minutes, he said, well, here's the four noble truths my understanding about the nature of reality. And then here's the eightfold path. When I wake up in the morning, I want to set my intentions on these things. Uh, And I thought, wow, that's brilliant and so clear. And And then he says, Mark, you identify as a follower of Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, what do you want to do and be? And my first impulse would say, I now have a chance to tell him how I became a Christian, how I received Christ as a 12-year-old. And, <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the question he asked me. He didn't ask me how I became a Christian. He said, how do you today live as a follower of Jesus? So what's, go. what's on question. your agenda because mm-hmm. of that? So I said, um, you know, I quick recovered and I said, well, I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. And I sort of patted myself on the back for good, good answer, Mark, you recovered there. <laughs> but then it haunted me because I thought my answer was a pl- sort of a platitude. Like it was, it was, it's, it's true, I believe, but it, but it didn't have m- much teeth to it. How do I love God and people? It's very abstract. Yeah. yeah. And so- when I got invited into this um, project around the Beatitudes to develop spiritual formation paths around them, I thought this gives us a framework for talking about the kingdom life. You know, one of my mentors was Dallas Willard, and he often would talk about the Sermon on the Mount as the curriculum for Christ likeness. But it's 110 verses. Like you mentioned, there's some interesting kind of rhetorical teaching methods going on there. So I looked at the Beatitudes and I thought each Beatitude is a doorway into where Jesus is going to say more about that area of our lives in the sermon. And then he lives it out in the rest of the Gospels. So first Beatitude, blessed are the poor, 
or poor in spirit, that's about our relationship with whether we trust God with our lives or not. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, see, he, he says other things about what that don't worry about your life. Um, be, you know, be open-handed with your possessions, share with one another. I grew up in a pretty biblicistic tradition. So I kind of nerd out on the connections between (laughs) these things. So I kind of use, basically I'm using the, the Beatitudes as a way of teaching through the Sermon on the Mount in a way that has some handles for us. Um, these are nine pivots we're being invited to make to surrender our lives or live fully in the reality of God's kingdom now. Am I correct in saying that there's, there's this movement towards a practical practice as a result of this reality? Yeah. So kind of the method in the book and in the spiritual formation journey I developed was first, let's name our ache around the let's let's explore our ache in around this area of of our lives. So each for each of the Beatitudes, I have something called an animating question. Like, where in your life do you feel like you don't have enough or you're not enough? Or for the second beatitude, um, when you look at the world, what breaks your heart? What makes you feel sad? Where where do you experience that kind of loneliness and pain in your life? Um, how would you like God to meet you in that? Or the third beatitude, how do you get caught in the trap of competition and comparisons of thinking in terms of greater than and less than. And everybody has an answer to these sort of questions, you know, and, um, and uh, uh, we've used these questions with people who aren't even Christian and they're human questions. And then we go, well, the Jesus is pointing us to the possibility that we could live in a new way. We could learn to trust instead of being anxious. We could learn to f- sit with pain instead of running from it. That we could see, recognize our our dignity and worth instead of living in competition comparison. So then the next question is, what are some practices that would help us live in the reality Jesus lived in? Live at his level of consciousness. And I think a lot of the classic spiritual disciplines get to this. Personally, I like, I like the disciplines to be a response to a problem in life. You know, like I'm having this struggle. How can these practices help me live in kingdom reality? And so for each of the Beatitudes, we have, uh, I suggest three or four practices that one might take on that could help you to experience the reality that Jesus is pointing us to. Mark, my understanding is this, this book was born out of very practical labs of people, you know, spending years working through uh, some of this work. Could, could you tell us a little about that? Yeah. Back in the, back in the early two thousands, I, I was spending quite a bit of time with Dallas Willard, and one day I said to him, um, this is a beautiful picture of life in the kingdom that you paint. How would a faith community, a group of people live in this together? And in a deceptively simple way, he said, well, I think a group of people should just look at the teachings of Jesus and his example and try to do those things together. And I kind of took his words as sort of marching orders, and we created 
an experimental community where we would try and try and live out the red letters of Jesus. And I wrote a book about it eventually called practicing the way of Jesus that had some popularity and gave me a chance to start teaching a class at Fuller seminary. So in 2015, some friends in the UK said, we want to do a project around the Beatitudes. Um, we think they really could speak life to um, particularly younger generations in the 21st century. And you have this background in creating learning journeys, like ac action and practice and reflection encounters. So would you want to join our team and help us with that? And the group is called Nine Beats Collective. And we were able to get together a group of um, musicians and thought leaders and activists from a lot of different backgrounds and um, race and ethnic and cultural groups and s talk through the Beatitudes and talk about pain points and places where they connect with things in our lives. And out of that, I was able to create a 11-week journey through the Beatitudes called the Ninefold Path. And so this book is based on kind of the stories of groups of people going on that journey over the last uh, four or five years now. Road tested, yeah. you could say. Yeah. What did you notice in these groups that, that encouraged you or maybe surprised you? Yeah. Well, I've been doing them all of COVID um, and it's been so incredible to see people who have been Christians for a long time and been even been in Christian leadership experience a freshness and a vitality in their journey. I think because we're trying to create spaces where people can be brutally honest about where they're at in life and what's hard, and then say, how do I invite God into those places? What am I being invited into? What steps of practice? So a lot of the people, the feedback we get in the surveys is they'll say, this really has brought following Jesus into all the parts of life in new ways for me. And um, I've wanted this for a long time, but I didn't know how how to get there. And being in a group where vulnerability is the is is the agreement and safety and bravery, and where we actually take on we're accountable to take on practices together and share our journals and small groups and how'd that habit go that you tried on for seven days, that spiritual <laughs> discipline, that level of companionship seemed to really accelerate a growth for people and open things up in new ways. What do you hope for people reading the book? Would you like to see happen? I'd love to see people's imagination reawakened for like the beauty and vitality of what life a with God or life, life in the kingdom life is like, and then make a connection between that and where they personally are right now and consider what, what some self-awareness work and some, and some daily habits and some new risks that they might take that will open them up to experience more of that kind of kingdom reality and kingdom consciousness. The last question for you that is unrelated, okay? <laughs> but for some reason, it's just bubbling up. In your travels around the world and, and working in lots of cross-cultural contexts, what have you picked up in Christians around the world that would be helpful for us in the West? Pre-COVID, I was spending quite a bit of time in Bangladesh. Uh, the Christian community there is less than 1% of the population. It's 90% Muslim, about 8 or 9% Hindu. 
So it's an extreme minority. I've gotten a chance to do quite a bit of retreats on the Beatitudes there. And um, it was exciting to see how some some of these themes are, the, if they're universal, they relate to everybody. And so I got a really good response to the teaching on the Beatitudes there. And one bishop said, now I know that I don't have to wait until I die to experience life in the kingdom. Mm. That, that was really cool <laughs> to hear. What inspired me was their response to suffering and struggle. Um, it's hard to breathe because of the air pollution. It's very crowded in Dhaka, the city of 20 million, where most of my friends live. And many of my friends are tracked by the police. Um, several of them have spent time in prison because of bearing witness to their experience of Jesus. And they would tell me this with huge smiles on their faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they weren't like, look at me, how I'm being persecuted they were they were like filled with so much joy maybe there's a variety of reasons for that but the other startling thing was how their kind of ability to be peacemakers like when i'd tr walk around dhaka depending on the person they would greet them according to their religious background so they'd say salam alaikum to a, a muslim person or uh, nomoshkar to a hindu person and Emmanuel is the greeting among Christians in Bangladesh, which is really cool. We should pick that one up. God is here. That's like the hello? Yeah, is Emmanuel. <laughs> so they're doing of that. What, yeah. do you, what do you take from that, them greeting each well, other? Well, that they, I think in the West, we tend to see that our faith background has been dominant and that something's being taken from us because the West has become less part of Christendom. And I think that maybe there's an opportunity to not have such a feel such a sense of privilege or loss, but just go, I'm part of something bigger. How do I show up as a follower of Jesus in my context as it is right now without saying, woe is me or why aren't things the way I wish they were in the public square? A more humble incarnational posture. It's an invitation to relationship yeah and, yeah. and conversation too right? yeah yeah mark thank you for writing this book and and sharing it with us ah, it's today. really great talking with you nate and that was mark scandrett talking about his new book titled ninefold path of jesus hidden wisdom of the beatitudes you can find out more about mark his work and his writing at markscandrett.com that's mark S-C-A-N-D-R-E-T-T-E dot -T -T -E com. And on his website, you'll want to check out a series of short videos he put together outlining each beatitude. I also want to mention a group that Mark is connected with called the Nine Beats Collective. And Nine Beats Collective is a collaboration of world-class musicians, artists, and songwriters exploring the ancient wisdom of the beatitudes. And their website is ninebeats.org. That's the number nine, beats.org. You'll find links to these sites in the podcast show notes. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast, a podcast made possible by the generosity of donors like you. You can support this work in Renovare with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. 
Renovar is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, And we do love hearing your questions or thoughts. You can send us an email. It's podcast at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Until next time, be well, friends. Be well.